Hello and welcome to Valley West Cinemas. I'm your host Aaron and this is the podcast where we take a group of related films and eliminate all but three. Today I am joined by Tara. Hello Tara. What's up guys? I have my list and my red pen ready because today we're discussing vampire movies. So obviously the list we have today is not all inclusive. There are so many vampire movies and just off the top of my head some that we're not discussing today are Near Dark, The Hunger, all of the Christopher Lee or Frank Langella Dracula movies, the Hammer movies. There's a ton of vampire films. Did you say the Hammer movies? Hammer. Hammer was a studio. Um, oh, okay. And most, most popular, like the 60s and 70s, they made a lot of gothic horror movies with like Peter Cushing. There's a lot of vampire movies, though. But yeah. I don't think they've saturated the market the way zombie movies have in the past 20 years. I think part of the issue with that is that there's a greater opportunity for creativity with vampire movies because you can do all sorts of different vampire movies with the vampirism as a metaphor, straight horror. You can do comedy. You can do all sorts of things. The zombies, though, zombie movies tend to be relatively similar. I don't know that there are many zombie movies that are radically different from each other. It's hard to look at a zombie movie and go, oh, wow, that's really romantic in a handsome, sexy way, where vampires, even though they might technically be undead and probably are undead, they're not as grotesque, usually, as a rotting body shambling around. Well, there there are sexy vampire movies. Oh, there, there's a ton of sexy vampires, but I would say that it's more acceptable to look at a sexy vampire and say, oh man, he's really hot, as opposed to look at that zombie over there. It's only slightly rotting and doesn't have right. as many flies. Well, and also too with zombies, the zombies are dead. Vampires, while also dead, can still be characters. That's true. Other than Bud in the original Day of the Dead, <laughs> there really aren't a lot of zombie characters. There are ones like Return of the Living Dead 3, where the guy brings his girlfriend back, and then she starts slowly turning into the more traditional zombie. But usually, zombies themselves aren't characters. A lot of these vampire movies are about a vampire character, and zombies don't usually have that character. The zombie is a mob, as opposed to an individual person in right. terms of a threat. Right. So there are a lot of vampire movies, but the ones we're discussing today are Bram Stoker's Dracula, Vampire in Brooklyn, Blade, Once Bitten, Twilight. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> okay, stop. No, 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 just stop. Just hang on. Just hang on. Just let me. Uh, <laughs> uh, Dracula Untold, Salem's Lot, From Dusk Till Dawn, The Lost Boys, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Interview with the Vampire, Queen of the Damned, Underworld, 30 Days of Night, Let the Right One In, Let Me In, and Daybreakers. Okay, so we laughed pretty hard at Twilight. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say that other than the last one when they basically turn it into X-Men, they're all pretty much the same visually and thematically and dramatically. Like, there's not a lot of change. It's not like Harry Potter 2 to Harry Potter 3, where the franchise grows up with the characters. There's a huge difference between Chamber of Secrets and Prisoner of Azkaban, but Twilight 2 and 3 and 4 are all pretty much stylistically, visually the exact same. There's so much blue tint everywhere. It's just very depressing. I'll say this right now. I like the Twilight movies, but I don't think they're necessarily good. I often refer to them as good comedies. <laughs> are, are they kind of like The Last Airbender in terms of how not to do no, a no. teen romance with vampires? Or No, no, no. The Last Airbender is a failure. Okay, well, I guess that the Twilight films are a failure. Um, <laughs> how do I say this then? The Last Airbender is, it's not offensively bad, but it is, a, it's a disaster. How about that? That's a better okay. word. The Last Airbender is a disaster. Twilight movies, I don't completely hate them. I don't watch them and think like from a filmmaking point of view. I don't look at them and say, oh God, why did you do this? They're just not that good. And Bella is a despisable character and a disposable character at that even. 
And the reason people connect to her in the books is because she's so underwritten that anybody can identify <laughs> with her. And I've read the books too. I think they're good comedies. I'd say in one positive way, they did actually cast Native American actors for the werewolves. I know they also changed the ending for Twilight. You mean part five or the part one? The Sorry, the, the Breaking Dawn. Or was that the part last four. One? It was New Moon, Eclipse, Breaking Dawn, part one and two. Yeah. They did change part of the ending in Breaking Dawn, part two. Which I liked. The book doesn't really have much of an ending. Not really. So at the end of part five, there's a huge battle. This is, was still the era where every big special effects movie has to end with two armies running at each other. Running across a field. Like even Narnia, a Christian fantasy novel turned into a movie, still has to have two armies running at each other at the end. Both Twilight, so they do that and they actually kill off a ton of characters. It you was can beautiful. It was, it was actually really interesting. Like that was the first time after five movies where you actually felt like there are stakes. Pun intended. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, wait a minute. Yeah. You can go on YouTube and watch audience reactions and hear fans screaming that this is not what happens in the book. It's shocking to watch these characters you like die, and it turns out that's just a vision. I kind of wish they hadn't wimped out. It would be neat if the franchise actually had the nerve to do that. That would have been cool. But I, I understand why they didn't. Whatever. I do love that ending. It's kind of cool. The series as a whole <laughs> is not great. I'm not really defending it, but they are kind of fun in a stupid, poor way. My problem was the baby, the CGI, horrible mashup, not even including the name. But they also had to cut out a huge chunk from the movie, probably because it would have turned a lot of people's stomachs. Well, it's in the movie if you're talking about when Jacob imprints on the child. Yeah. Imprinting, <laughs> in, the imprinting in the biological sense is something we use to describe animals, mostly like waterfowl, ducks, etc. The first thing they see is what they recognize as their parent and their species. So if you have a duck that hatches and the first thing it sees is another duck, I'm a duck. They don't understand it in that terms, but that's how it works. In Twilight, though, if a werewolf imprints on you, that means you belong to that werewolf for the rest of your life. And it's supposed to be some kind of romantic theme, but it's written, even in the books, this is horrible very stalkerish deal that even if you don't like your intended partner, it's okay for them to kill whoever you are interested in. The fact that you have a teenage boy imprinting on a baby is really creepy. Yeah. There there are other creepy parts in the franchise too, like ooing and aahing over Jacob when he takes off his shirt in the second movie because the actor got super buff. Yeah. And nobody had any problem with the oohs and ahs over this legally child. Mm-hmm. But getting oohed and odd, getting oohed and odd by adult women, and God forbid if, if the genders were reversed. If the genders were reversed, but I, whatever, you know, we're not going to get into that. I am crossing off the Twilight movies. I will say that a big part of the problem with that franchise is just the template that that first movie established. These are the actors we've we've selected. They established the look, everything being kind of blue tinted, like Tara mentioned. Yeah, I don't think anyone at the studio had the nerve to change that with its following sequels. You can make a sequel that doesn't look the exact same as its predecessor. To Not grow with the characters. Yeah, it wasn't the best made movie. <laughs> it wasn't the best made movie. And they could have done something and they didn't. Instead, they doubled down and they just ran with everything the first movie set up instead of trying to maybe bring in more creative filmmakers. That's very true. And I will say there are certain things I expect from a vampire movie. It can be a happy-go-lucky kind of silly movie, Dracula Dead and Loving It style. It could be super serious and very sad, but there are four things that your vampire has to have. Vampires have to drink blood. Uh, vampires need to burn up or at least suffer in the sun, eh. which they don't do in the Twilight movies. Instead, they sparkle. I don't mind them changing vampire lore. Vampire lore changes 
all the time. Vampire lore can change. Certain things, at least to me, have to kind of stick with it. The vampire needs to have a way to pass on the vampire curse. Vampires also should be at least physically immortal. Twilight has some of those, you know, characteristics, but overall their vampires aren't very threatening. Well, it's a teen romance drama thing. It's not really vampire vampire. Like, I know. They're, the, they're vampires, but it's not like, it, it's, it's not more, from dusk till dawn. At least they do have the bloodlust, but goodbye Twilight, yeah, not on my list. So our friend John just called in right now. Do you have a favorite vampire movie, John? Does anything come to mind? Favorite vampire movie? You know what? Interview's pretty good, but also I, I like Bram Stoker's. Like, that's the vampire movie, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty faithful to the book, and it's made in a very old-school fashion that we'll get into. Yeah. yeah, that would be my pick. With Bram Stoker's Dracula, there's only one optical effect, I think, in the whole movie, but everything else is done in camera. So when you see, like, the train going by, and then there's, like, a diary superimposed taking up the bottom half of the screen, they made, like, a four-foot-wide diary, and they filmed it with a model toy in the background. That's or, awesome. When a rat is running upside down across the top of the screen because it's, like, Dracula's magic castle, mm -hmm. they just filmed that with mirrors and trickery. Like, it's all in camera. They wanted to film it as if it was being made in 1939. Oh. And then was optical. They ride through these blue flames that are glowing on the road. Oh, yeah, I would hope that's not real. And <laughs> I think that's the only optical effect. We lost a lot of horses that day. <laughs> like Red Dead Redemption, where your horse just catches fire. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, I won't, I won't keep it though, John. Twilight is crossed off for both of us, right? Twilight's not being saved for my vampires. Goodbye. You and I previously talked about Salem's Lot on the Stephen King episode. As stated before, it's good. It's definitely very 70s, 80s TV movie, which it was. I don't really have anything else to add, but uh, I'm going to go ahead and cross it off. I'm going to cross it off too. It's a good Stephen King book. I think part of the problem might be that the vampire isn't much of a character himself. It's really more about everybody else, which is fine. The vampire Barlow actually is kind of somewhat nice, even though he's clearly going to kill these people and make them his slaves. But he treats them with a kind of very polite evil. Yeah, and in the TV movie, he's just basically Nosferatu. He's a ghoul. He yeah. doesn't even speak. Yeah, they have to at least make him a character, not just a force. He's not a zombie. He's the vampire lord. Yeah. Since we did bring up Bram Stoker's Dracula, let's go ahead and talk about that. Uh, I think it is definitely the best made movie on this list. The effects are great. The visual style, cinematography, the actors with one, one <laughs> what, very specific exception. Talk, tell the exception. Let's hear it. Keanu Reeves. It's the accent, isn't it? It's always the I, accent. <laughs> I love Keanu Reeves, but he cannot play a proper Englishman. Well, uh, really... I'm Keanu Reeves. Uh, I'm going to the castle. <laughs> Does he really need the accent, though? I understand you want it to be... I mean, there's a certain element of realism you want in your movies about vampires. With everything, your belief only goes so far. But did he really need the accent? I love Keanu Reeves, especially his career resurgence of the last, like, 10 years or so. Mm -hmm. I like Keanu Reeves. I like Keanu a lot. But just like that Shakespeare movie he did... There are certain things he can't do. He did a Shakespeare movie? Yeah, Much Ado About Nothing. Kenneth Branagh directed it. Oh, God. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I missed with, that one. <laughs> with, with an accent very similar to what he uh, tried in Bram Stoker's Dracula. Right. But Gary Oldman as Dracula is amazing. Dude, the makeup on the him. The makeup is so good. Doesn't it doesn't look like makeup. That's the best part. Yeah, it, it's fantastic. The problem is, is Keanu's performance really does almost torpedo the entire movie. It makes it almost unwatchable. You mute the movie and just have subtitles on. Keanu isn't in the whole movie, but he is essentially the first like 30 minutes of it. It's about him. He is mm. the audience surrogate teaching us about Dracula. 
and he is just so poor. And I hate to say it. I hate to say it about Keanu because he's awesome. But Dracula himself is a force of nature, but he's also a really good character. You actually feel for Dracula. He's not just this mindless monster out to just devour virgins and destroy a countryside. He has a purpose in what he's trying to do. And you actually kind of feel for the guy. Yeah, he he is a very romantic murderer. That's true. But, <laughs> but he's romantic murderer, but he's also very suave about it. I'm going to hold on to it. I'm going to hold on to it for yeah, now. Just yeah. for now, I'm going to hold on to it. I know we're early in the list, but that's it's still so, such a good movie. Even it's with so Keanu. well made. It's so well made. I just absolutely hate Keanu Reeves in it. The story itself is awesome. The effects are great. Even when like a random American cowboy shows up in the second half, you're just like, all right, cool. Yeah, I'll you're run like, with it. Hey, yeah. whatever, man. It's cool. It's Dracula. There is a really funny gag that I like in that movie quite a bit when Anthony Hopkins faces off against the the three vampire women and you don't see what happens and it immediately cuts to him throwing their heads off of the castle. <laughs> like, I thought that was a fun little gag. I'm keeping it for now. Tara is also keeping it for now and we'll see where it lands, but I'm thinking it's probably going to end up being one of the three. I'm going to say probably so far, but Keanu's performance might oh, be the man. deal breaker there. So I'm going to cross off Vampire in Brooklyn. That it's, was the Eddie Murphy one, that right? Was, yeah, that was Eddie Murphy. I don't remember a lot about Vampire in Brooklyn other than going, oh, Eddie Murphy's in it. He's the, you know, the, the comedy guy, the funny guy. Oh my God, he's kind of scary looking in this. If he was trying to break out of his comedy roles and do something different, that could have been cool. He could have done a vampire horror movie. The problem is, is that he was sort of in this mood where he didn't want to do comedy in the late 90s. Mm-hmm. Like even even Beverly Hills Cop 3, he didn't want it to be funny. Really? Yeah, it was weird. And so Vampire in Brooklyn, I think it started with the approach of him doing a scary movie. But then the producers wanted Eddie Murphy because they wanted a funny movie. Which and, doesn't work for Vampire in Brooklyn. Yeah. And then Eddie Murphy himself kept doing changes to the script. Uh, that's and, not a good sign. Right. And then as the movie was being made under Wes Craven, because Wes Craven directed it. Oh, really? And he's normally pretty reliable. There's this tonal imbalance to where the movie doesn't know if it's a horror or a comedy and it just never works. It does seem a little disjointed when you watch it. I thought it was just me watching it, not quite understanding, hey, vampire movies aren't always scary, but it should, like you said, have a balance. Either funny, can have funny moments, or bloodlusty, scary vampire creepiness. I also never understand in most vampire movies, in this case, he had, what, a cop that was his love interest? Yeah, Angela Bassett. Uh, Assume you're that cop lady. And this vampire shows up and says, hey, I want you to be my my queen of the dead. We're going to have this awesome life. We're going to do cool things. Mm, I'm a cop in New York. I've already seen some really messed up stuff. This guy pretending to be a vampire is not the worst I've seen. But you know what? Why not? Let's do this. This might be kind of fun. They just shrug and go, yeah, all right, cool. Probably what Vampire in Brooklyn is most famous for is a stunt woman died while filming. (laughs) Yeah. Don't laugh. No, I'm just saying, like, I didn't remember that. Oh, I think she was Angela Bassett's double, her stunt double, and she was supposed to jump across rooftops and missed. They don't have safety nets? Uh, I think she missed the pad because they usually have, like, like inflated pads. They do have safety measures in place. Yeah. But, but... I, I, I don't know the details. I'll look it up. But I think she missed the pad. Eesh. That's yeah. going to put a crimp on it. Yeah. How do you go back to finish the movie? Because they had to finish the movie still. That's got to be weird. The actor that pulled the trigger that killed Brandon Lee, like, he never got over it. I wouldn't think it would. I mean, that's kind of a big deal. Yeah. So, so Vampire in Brooklyn, Eddie Murphy, you could have made this really cool. I would have liked to have seen him, like, embrace the scary part. Or the comedy. Like, make up your mind. Is this a comedy that's also a horror movie? Or is this a horror movie with some comedy? Make up your mind. Either one would have been great. We could have yeah. seen more of that. Pick a lane. Right? <laughs> um 
You mentioned Blade. I'm hanging on to Blade for now, but I might cross it off just because Blade was heavily discussed in the Marvel but not MCU episode with Sean. Blade is great. It's definitely aged. Like if you watch it now, (laughs) it's very much, very much a 90s movie, including the effects and the music. Oh, Oh, dear Lord, the music. Nothing wrong with the music, though. It's just some of the effects. But again, product of its time. I'm going to cross it off, actually. I'm not talking about the sequel. It's just Blade itself. Yeah, well, we're only talking about Blade 1. Yeah. Honestly, Deacon Frost, I love the name. He was a cool-looking bad guy. But I didn't like the sunscreen part. That just took me right out of the movie. <laughs> and I know, again, this is a movie about blood-sucking parasites that are people that have superpowers. But at some point, you know, the belief has to stop. I can't suspend my disbelief that much to say, hey, all vampires have needed for all this time is just a bunch of sunblock, and then they're fine? Spray paint? Like, that should have been the the turning point, the climax of the movie, all the vampires standing out there with a bunch of sunblock on and Blade going, ah, I never thought about that. Just jumping into a pool of sunblock? Yeah, why not? Uh, I'm crossing off Once Bitten. I don't think anyone but us remembers that movie. I don't think Jim Carrey remembers that movie. Once Bitten is one of those movies where you have to watch it without modern day glasses because there is some weird homophobia in it there is some weird kind of rape culture in it it's all played for 1980s laughs it's not terribly offensive to me at least the excuse of this is what they made back then this is of the era mm-hmm. it's not as bad as like revenge of the nerds where you watch that and oh, it's god. like oh oh, oh my god Dude, that's, even, even that is I, not right <laughs> even when i watch revenge of the nerds like as a kid i thought I don't get why everyone else is laughing. This is really messed up. Yeah. What's wrong with me that I don't think this is funny? Right, right. So Once Bitten is not quite to the level of Revenge of the Nerds. On its own, it's fun to see a very, very young Jim Carrey. And it's not a good vampire movie either. I mean, if we're looking at it. Well, it's a comedy. It's a vampire comedy. Yeah, it's not exceedingly funny. Yeah, it's not particularly about vampires going around and biting necks and feeding people. It's just about this one kid slowly turning into a vampire and realizing that all he has to do to save himself is have sex. And that's it. Yeah, because the, the vampire needs a virgin. And at that point, you're like, well... In the vampire lore of that film, they have to be bitten twice. I don't mind these movies changing the lore. I'm not married to, oh, garlic and holy water and steaks. First of all, a steak through the heart would kill anything. <laughs> I, I do keep with my four, though. Like, I don't care about the holy water, garlic, water in general, anything like that. Those are totally fine. The vampire does have to burn up in sunlight, have a way to pass on the curse, etc. I don't remember if it was Fright Night. Oh, we should have put Fright Night on this list. Oh, I love that movie. The original, not the remake. Okay, I was going to say... Uh... Oh, man. The original <laughs> Fright Night is so good. Dang. Um, I don't remember if it was Fright Night, though, but there is a vampire movie where they establish that a crucifix only works if the vampire believes in God. If the vampire is an atheist, then a crucifix <laughs> doesn't work on them. Well, that was part of Salem's Lot in the book. I'm crossing off Dracula Untold. Oh, this is the one with the, the Vlad the Impaler kind of. Yeah, yeah. The one that just came out a few years ago, yeah. Yeah, it was right before the Dark Universe attempt where they're oh, trying to do the... right, with the mummy. The, the mummy franchise, yeah. Dracula Untold is not terrible. It's not great. It's a PG-13 action movie. Why? Of, Why go PG-13? A, just go full R. Show me some blood and guts. Actually, yeah. make, it a, make it good. Uh, I don't really have much to add about Dracula Untold. If you're in a pinch for a vampire-ish action movie, sure, why not? Whatever. I don't care. a bunch of 13-year-olds, I guess it's fine. Yeah, whatever. I don't care. Again, some of these movies have so much promise, especially Dracula Untold. Just go for the full R, man. Show me some blood and guts. Yeah, go for it. Why not? I'm going to cross off Underworld, and this does represent the whole franchise. I don't really like any of them, although I will say that the third one is probably the best, and it's kind of interesting because... 
The third one is a prequel. But normally, when a franchise does a prequel without the star of the franchise, that's usually a jump the shark moment. That usually tells you- It's a bad sign. Yeah, it's a very bad sign that this franchise is out of steam when they have to do basically Tokyo Drift. I would actually watch Fast and Furious like from the start if they actually brought in vampires and werewolves. We just do a whole series about that. Dude, if they brought in vampires and werewolves to the Fast and Furious franchise, that would be cool as hell. And then you'd have, of course, those kind of those messed up moments where, oh God, it's the full moon. He's going to transform. He can't use the steering wheel anymore. <laughs> okay, anyway. Um, I'm going to write this down. We're going to have a whole series. No, But that third one is probably the best in the franchise. I don't particularly care for any of the other ones. And I don't even really care that much about part three. It's just part three to me is the best one. And it also abandons basically the storyline of the franchise and the franchise's <laughs> star. That's so whatever, not a good sign, So though. whatever that means for you, yeah. But I'm crossing off Underworld, all of them. I don't care. I'm crossing them off as well. Underworld to me was more always a werewolf movie as opposed to vampires. I know vampires are a big part of it, but it just seemed to be too much stuff we're kind of throwing in. And goodbye. The next two are what I think the best and the worst movies on this list. Oh, this ought to be good. Interview with the Vampire and its sequel, Queen of the Damned. Oh, I have to agree with you 100% on that. Yeah. So we said Bram Stoker's Dracula is the best made, and I do still stand by that, but I do think that Interview with the Vampire is the best movie on this list. So it is absolutely one of the surviving three films. The costumes are great. The lighting's great. The characters, all the effects in it are just amazing. Giving the world Brad Pitt, although he is arguably pretty boring in that movie, but actually allowing Tom Cruise to be evil and fun. Like Tom Cruise is great in that. And the fun part is, I remember that the lady that wrote Interview with a Vampire. Anne Rice. Yeah. She freaked the hell out when she was told that Tom Cruise was going to play Lestat. She was very much against it. And then when the movie came out, she was so happy with it. She actually recorded a video apology that was on the beginning of the VHS release <laughs> when the movie came out <laughs> that, for rent. I, I will say that's actually a really good thing she did, mm -hmm. you know, because everyone knew that she hated it. Mm-hmm. And then to apologize, no, I was wrong. He's amazing in this part. You know, yeah. a little feather in the cap for Tom Cruise. They're going, yeah, yeah, I was. Fun fact, I stood outside Anne Rice's house once in New Orleans and I waved. I love Interview with a Vampire. It is an awesome movie. And then they made Queen of the Damned. And... I was sorry, I, I was pausing for dramatic effect. <laughs> no, Queen of the Damned is one of those movies like Roger Corman's Fantastic Four, where it was only made to keep the rights. Warner Brothers realized that if they didn't make another interview with the vampire film within the next like nine months, that they would lose the rights. And so they rushed that into production. And then they cast Stuart Townsend, who has been good in stuff, but he's a terrible Lestat. They skipped a book. Because it's called Queen of the Damned, but it's really more of a story of the Vampire Lestat book, which is the second book in the series. Queen of the Damned is the third one, I believe. They basically made one of those terrible straight-to-video sequels. Like if you ever walked around Blockbuster when it existed or checked uh -huh. out a Redbox and you see The Lost Boys 3, The Thirst. That's basically what Queen of the Damned was. <laughs> With a huge, huge budget, though. With a very, very big budget, but it's so poorly made. It comes off as a – I hate to use this word because I, I think people use it – far too much and often unfairly. It's an immature film. I would say it almost feels like a fanfic of... Yeah, it's almost like in a very expensive fan-made YouTube video. <laughs> I, I'm going with kind of like how Fifty Shades of Grey started out as a Twilight fanfic right. and made the author millions of dollars once she changed some names and a few little things. Yeah, and of course Aaliyah died before the movie came out, which made it very weird. Like, I remember seeing that in theaters, and when her character dies on screen, it felt very strange to watch. It was extremely weird. And yeah. I know she did a few other movies. I know she did Romeo Must Die. Did she do anything else? Um, She was probably in a few others. None of the other ones come to mind. Uh, but she was only like 21 when she yeah. died. She died, and then 
this movie came out that was like the last thing she did and it yeah. was just so bad. And watching Brandon Lee crawl out of the grave in The Crow after he died, that felt very strange and sad, but also a little cathartic because he's coming back to life. Yeah. And then in Queen of the Damned, you just watch Aaliyah die and her being so young just made it that much more sad. Um the movie poster looks kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> you know I what? Mean, if it we, if had we, her on it and she looks really awesome as, as, as on the movie poster. I thought, oh, this might actually be cool even if we ignore the fact she just died. If I have to pay a compliment though, I will say it has a hell of a soundtrack. If you like late 90s, early 2000s, mm-hmm. new metal sort of stuff, it's a really good soundtrack. Hey, sometimes a good soundtrack can make or break a movie. It won't save the movie, but... Like Spawn? Spawn sucks, but it has a great soundtrack. <laughs> Just a quick point, though, you mentioned the storyline, and for those that don't know, so in the book, The Vampire Lestat, Lestat really does become a rock star, and that's actually interesting. Like, when you have 450 pages to explore boredom and immortality, yeah, yeah, of course, what would this charismatic, immortal person do in the 70s and 80s? Become a rock star, why not? But when you put that into a 90-minute movie, it comes off as a little weird. Yeah, it does, but anyway, I, I will say one last thing about Queen of the Damned. I could not remember which vampire was which since that movie came out so far later after Interview with a Vampire. And none of the cast came back. So I thought it was supposed to be the Brad Pitt vampire. I thought it was Lewis. And I'm looking at him going, that doesn't look anything like Brad Pitt. No, but Armand is back in that movie. And Armand was uh, Antonio Banderas in the first movie. he died. He didn't die in the first movie. No, okay. Yeah, I'm not going to get into it. There's there's a whole complicated history of all the characters. Like even the interviewer comes back in one of the later books and he becomes a vampire. Uh, I... Yeah, I think we're both keeping interview and dropping the queen then, right? A hundred percent. Absolutely. The next two I'm going to pair together as well because one is a remake of the other. Let the Right One In and Let Me In. Let Me In is really good as a remake. My only real issue with it at all is there is an attack sequence where they use CG and it looks very, very poor. And it takes away from the drama of watching a, a child vampire eat somebody in a tunnel if it just looks like a cartoon. <laughs> I'm going to cross off Let Me In mostly only because Let the Right One In, which is its original... Swedish movie? It's I think Swedish, Swedish. Yeah. Okay. They're so very similar. They're both very good. And so I'm just going to go ahead and keep the original because it was first. And I do think it is slightly better made. I actually want to agree with you on this. I'm going to drop Let Me In, but I'm going to keep Let the Right One. And I actually read the book before I saw the movie. Oh, okay. And they changed a few things because you have to for some of this. Because you can't have a movie where the vampire's servant is a convicted sex offender. Okay, so we need to touch briefly on the story for those that don't know. It's about a child vampire. Uh, They have an adult familiar who spends their life with with her, with the vampire. This person ages for decades and they're companions. In Let the Right One In, it just happens to be a stranger that Eli meets up with and tells him pretty much, you're going to take care of me, you're going to be with me. And he can justify to himself, I can do all these horrible things for Eli because I love Eli. And Eli's technically older than I am, even though Eli is... Like a 12-year-old. The body of a child. Body of a child, yeah. mind of somewhat a child. And the original is such a good, good, dark horror movie. and it's But it's still got so many sweet, cute moments between the kids. Yeah, so she befriends another small child, and the movie is, in a way, about their friendship. And then, of course, yeah. things slightly go awry because it's a vampire horror movie. Mm-hmm. And it's really good. And again, the remake is excellent. The original being the original, to me, makes it the one to keep. That's all. The next two I'm pairing together are 30 Days of Night and Daybreakers. I do like the idea of Daybreakers. Essentially what it is is that the vampires have won and they've taken over the world and so the human population is basically only being farmed and the world as we know it is all vampires. There's a vampire Starbucks. There's vampire (laughs) office jobs. They are essentially us just now they happen to be vampires and dealing with a blood shortage 
if you are a vampire who starves, you turn into a giant bat creature thing who eats other vampires. It's a very neat idea to see a world of all vampire. That's kind of cool. Daybreakers was a fun story. It's a really good kind of flip from the vampires having to hide from humanity for so long. And some excellent actors too. Willem yeah. Dafoe and Sam Neill. It's a good movie. It's good. It's it's. But it, it can't compare with some of the other vampire movies. So It's stylistically creative. It's a fun movie. It's made by the Spirit Brothers who did this zombie movie called Undead. I do have a great deal of respect for Daybreakers. It's a solid film. I do recommend it. I am crossing it off. I have much less hesitation crossing off 30 Days of Night. That movie has a, a great concept, you know, an Alaskan town where it's nighttime for weeks straight. That like, is well, a great idea. It's a though. great idea. Like, where would vampires hang out? In a place where there's no sun, of course. And it just makes so much sense. And it's a real town, too. Yeah, but the movie is fine. I never read the graphic novel. Yeah. The sequel, straight-to-video sequel, was pretty bad. 30 Days of Night again? Uh, I think it's called Dark Days. 30 Days of Night, Dark Days, something like that. It's something okay. bad, yeah. Okay. It's, it's, again, Warner Brothers pumping out these straight-to-video <laughs> sequels. But 30 Days of Night, you know, Good it's, premise. it's fine. And if you need a horror movie, especially nowadays, there are so many cheap, cheap horror <laughs> movies on Tubi and Redbox. And if you want to watch a horror movie that actually came out of a studio with an actual budget and real actors, then yeah, watch 30 Days of Night. I'm not saying it's bad. I just... Don't love it. I don't recommend it the way that I would recommend Daybreakers. Either way, it's definitely getting crossed off for me. Could have been a pretty good series. I think both of these would have been. Daybreakers and 30 Days of Night. Great premise, just kind of sad execution. The only three we haven't discussed are The Lost Boys, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and From Dusk Till Dawn. I have a great deal of nostalgic love for all three of these movies. I can't really defend any of them as necessarily good. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, <laughs> it's not a good movie. But being of the right age when it came out. It's and a cute movie, though. It's, it's kind of cute. Fu it's fun. It's fun. It's dumb. The makers definitely did not understand the script as intended. <laughs> it, it was meant to be more in line with the show. It was meant to be more sarcastic. And the, instead, they made it like a broad comedy. I thought the show came out after the movie. Yeah. The, yeah, the show came out after the movie. The show came out as a reaction to the movie because oh, okay. Joss Whedon, separating the man from the art. We know he's had some issues. But, yep. Uh, Nat Geo style. Nat Geo style. I don't get it. So many issues, more issues than National Geographic. What are we talking about? National Geographic, the magazine. They have issues? Oh, oh my issues. God, dude. We live in a digital age and you're talking about actual physical issues of and the magazine. And you're talking about movies that came out in the 80s and the 90s. Yeah, but, but still, it's still 2022. Okay. I don't know what you're talking about. You say, Josh Whedon has more issues. Josh. 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 Two S's. The TV show was made as a reaction to the movie because Joss Whedon's original script was meant to be darker and more sarcastic, not oh. brightly colored. Cotton candy. Cotton candy, of. broad comedy. As much as I like the movie, it's kind of dumb. It's made in a dumb comedy sort of way. I thought it was supposed to be like that, kind of like wasn't spitting. But it wasn't meant to be that way. That was not his script. And so oh. that's almost the entire reason they made the TV show as just as a reaction to his script not being made the way he wanted it to be. And now do, do you think anyone actually remembers the movie as opposed to the series, the show? Some people do. I know, I know some people who still care about the movie. It really depends on how old you were when it came out. Okay. I don't think the movie will find a new fan today. If you put it on for, well, really anybody right now who's never seen it, they might just sort of look at you sideways. <laughs> like, what is but this? But I was a teenager when it came out, and so it was a lot of fun. To me, it's no different than like Airheads. It's oh, a gotcha, 90s yes. silly comedy. And I like it. I like Buffy, but it's not really good. I am going to cross it off. 
I'm going to cross it off just because I liked the show better. And also because the movie was just too happy-go-lucky comedy, which I thought it was supposed to be like that. That's why I didn't really like it in the first place. Well, the comedy was in the script. It's just the way it was made. It comes off dumb. They treat the comedy as if the joke is how dumb it is. So anyway. Buffy's out of here. Yeah. I'm also crossing off from Dusk Till Dawn. I like Tarantino. I think the first hour, literally hour of that movie is better than the last 30 minutes because the movie is more road trip than vampires. Than vampires. But that was a big twist, wasn't it? They didn't show from Dusk Till Dawn like on the movie posters or no, the they trailers. Did. The trailers they and did? the poster. Really? Yeah. Because everyone I've mentioned this movie to, they're like, oh, that's the one where I had the vampire twist. I didn't see that coming. So I'm not sure if, if there are people who saw it <laughs> later who are yeah. blindly unaware, then that's great and I'm jealous. But the vampires were all over the poster and the trailer. The trailer I was like, but it's gonna be one hell of a night and then ah, vampire stuff. And then the that poster has cool. all the vampire bats coming out of the bar. They did not hide the vampires from the advertising when the movie came out. And I think the first, you know, hour is the best part of the movie. I think the vampire stuff is actually kind of weak. It's fun. It's it's really fun to just sort of be like, ha like laugh at all the crazy yeah. stuff that's happening. But it, it lacks the tension, the interest. You actually care about the characters. Yeah, if they had done it in a sort of Shaun of the Dead way to where oh, it's, that been great. Where it's still funny, but the horror is still treated as real horror, then that could have been cool. That would have been awesome. And the vampire attack sequence is fun to watch. It's a great 30 minutes. There's a lot of creativity in there. Mm-hmm. Lots of fun little weapons and character deaths and vampire yes. kills. It's just that 30 minutes with the hour that came before, mm. it's weird. It's almost like, uh, you know, you got you got your peanut butter and my chocolate. <laughs> I like the first hour. I like the half hour of vampires. I don't necessarily like them together. I mean, they have two different tones, kind of. That might explain part of it. I don't know. Like, here's an example. There's a movie by Takashi Miike called Dead or Alive, which I love. It's a Yakuza Japanese film. It's a very serious, violent cops and robbers type movie. Okay. And then at the end, the good guy and the bad guy face off, and one of the characters reaches behind himself, and like a nine-foot bazooka comes out onto his shoulder. What the hell? And then the other guy reaches into his chest and pulls like a ball of light out of his heart, Street Fighter II style, and one fires the bazooka and the other one throws the light at each other, and that's the end of the movie. Oh. So, <laughs> Wait, okay. Completely that's, out of nowhere. It's that's almost, the end. That's the end of the movie, and none of the movie up to that point has anything otherworldly going on not a single thing happens that is not based in some form of reality and then all of a sudden that moment at the end happens it's almost like hans gruber falling out of the building at the end of die hard but then he sprouts wings <laughs> and then and then john mcclain starts shooting like candy corn out of his nipples that's it just out of nowhere and that's kind of like from dusk till dawn except for obviously a much much bigger chunk than just the ending yeah but it's a cool moment it's a cool sequence just doesn't really doesn't, gel with the rest of it it doesn't mesh well yeah and that's sad because it is such a fun movie otherwise. Yeah. And so unfortunately, I am crossing off from Dust Till Dawn. That's the only one I was kind of hesitating on too. But the more I think about it, I like it. I don't like it enough to save it because it just seems like there's two ideas that don't quite mesh well enough to make a coherent story. All right. So I only have a few left. The only one we haven't discussed is The Lost Boys. I love The Lost Boys. It is cheese-tastic. It is definitely a, a period piece, but... Oh, man. If you want to see okay. why we had feathered hair in the 80s, <laughs> Dude, oh, my but God. Just looking at the, the poster of this thing, you're like, I like this. I mm-hmm. want to go back to this era. Yeah. This looks awesomely fun. And you can read into the movie nowadays, too, as a metaphor for all sorts of things. Oh, I don't God, know if yes. any of that was intended or not. You can see that for both good and bad, potentially. I mean, there, there are probably ways to connect to that movie that they did not intend. I love that the ending is 
almost super random. I hate in movies when people, especially heroes, drive their cars like in through the front windows of a building <laughs> or the front door of a building. They didn't know that the people they're trying to save aren't on the other side of that that wall that they're driving through. And so Lost Boys does end with the grandpa driving his car into his house and a giant stake flying through the air and, and killing the bad guy. It's a cool moment. Mm -hmm. And I can forgive it for that. I just sort of hate that trope. But I love the grandpa's The grandpa's line. great. I love, just, yeah. just what he says, it's spot on. It's a great place to live, but all the damn vampires. Yeah, and you're like... Like, wait, what? What the... <laughs> like, like, like I, he knew? I, oh, and that kind of changes the movie, but man, is it so perfect. Yeah. The saxophone player is awesome. Between that one and Lit, the right one in, though, it's kind of a toss-up almost for me. The Lost Boys, I could see a modern viewer having trouble with just how cheesy 80s it is it is so 80s and also too it exists in this perfect time to where the two Corys, Corey Heyman and Corey Feldman were still charismatic and fun mm -hmm. to watch they hadn't fallen into the terrible lifestyles that came later uh, and of course Corey Haim did did eventually die Kiefer Sutherland is young Edward Herman is in it. He's always fun. A lot of these vampire movies, I don't want to live in Bram Stoker's Dracula. I right. don't want to live in Daybreakers. I don't want to live in pretty much any of these movies where there's a vampire around unless it's The Lost Boys and I'm a teenager again because yeah. that just sounds amazing. That's kind of where the title comes from with Peter Pan and The Lost Boys. It's about The Lost Boys being able to do what they want, party and have fun, live forever. You know, It's fun to be a vampire. It is fun to be a vampire. I mean, they do have the vampire dad, but comparatively speaking... They still get to do almost whatever they want. And it's also, too, one of the rare movies where it's actually about the vampires. And, and of course, the movie is really mostly about the older brother of this family who gets tempted into joining their little club of vampires. But you actually watch him go around with these vampires and have fun and do things versus about people just hunting them. It's not about people just hunting vampires. It's about the character joining the vampires. And them treating him not just, hey, you're a meal or you're a servant, but... You could be one of us. You could be one of us. Other than the cheese, I think the only real problem with Lost Boys, and it is potentially a large problem, is that the main character is the least charismatic person in the whole movie. Jason Patrick, who has done good stuff before, he plays Michael, he plays the main character the one tempted into the, the Lost Boys Club. His character and his performance is just so bland and he's supposed to be the main character. So it's like Twilight. Twilight Bella No, no, no. No, but everyone is boring in Twilight. Jason Patrick is surrounded by a bunch of interesting actors and characters. They throw in a love interest, which is also kind of boring, but all the side characters and all the vampires are so much fun. That movie's just about the vampires and you're like, okay, main character, you kind of sit on the sidelines. Ah, oh, man. I hate to say it, but I'm going to go ahead and cross off Blade because I'm looking at these movies and I don't want to get rid of Lost Boys yet, so I'm crossing off Blade. I'm torn between keeping the Lost Boys or not. I have Let the Right One In, Interview the Vampire, the Lost Boys, and Bram Stoker's Dracula. I'm tempted to keep the Lost Boys, but the problem is, is that do I choose the fun movie over the well-made good movies? <laughs> I'm not saying that Lost Boys isn't well-made or good, it's just you take a, a Big Mac and you compare it to a steak, and that's what's happening with Lost Boys versus like Bram Stoker's Dracula or Let the Right One In. Yeah, but sometimes you're in the mood for a Big Mac. I should have used. I should have said Whopper. I really don't like Big Macs. <laughs> but you know what I mean. I really don't like Big Macs. It's the sauce. What you is that? Is it, it, is it Thousand Island it. sauce or what is it? It's, it's like worked, orange colored. I haven't worked at McDonald's in twenty years, dude. So. Oh my god. Anyway, um, all right. Ugh, Keanu Reeves is really bad. Definitely keeping Interview. That's the only one hundred percent for me. I've got mine actually. You have your three already. I've got mine. Yeah, because okay. I dropped Blade. I I couldn't keep it when I had the other ones. So. All right. Oh, this is tough. This is tough. Uh, tick tock, tick tock. All right. I hate to do it. I hate to do it. It's it's so, so remarkably well made. 
Oh, uh, what are you cutting? I am cutting Bram Stoker's Dracula. Dude. I am. That is, ex- man, Keanu Reeves just did the death tell on that it one, is. didn't he? Keanu Reeves is the deal breaker. I hate to say it. Wow. But all the special effects and everything else, Keanu Reeves is the we- one that sank that battle. Because I have to, if I put a movie on and the first 30 minutes is just a bad actor, all the effects are great, but man, he is so bad in it. Wow. Okay. All right. So I have my three. <laughs> Shocks. You cut Bram Stoker's Dracula. Yeah. That, that, like you actually struggled with the Pixar list about Up and Wally and Inside Out. And you're like, eh, I just don't like Keanu. Drop it. Did you say Keanu? I said Keanu. It's ooh, the letter ooh, Keanu. Keanu. Oh, in your case, it's Keanu. I'm not saving this movie. <laughs> oh, that's funny. All right. Well, so what are your three? I'm still keeping Bram Stoker's Dracula because that's just awesome. It is like the best modern retelling of the original Dracula. And I can ignore the bad accent. I can forgive him for that. He was just trying. Okay. I am also going to keep Interview with the Vampire because I think that's just like the best vampire movie ever made. Hmm. As much as it hurts me, I'm slicing off, let the right one in. I'm keeping the Lost Boys because I just need a vampire movie where they're not monsters. And they are kind of monsters, but they're fun and they're relatable. And I just like the Lost Boys. Those are my three. What do you got? If you want to learn about filmmaking, 100% Bram Stoker's Dracula. But uh, when one of the lead actors is just ruinous, I just, mm, I almost picked it. I thought it was going to be one of the three. This is just where we ended up, you know? I know. I'm honestly surprised that you're keeping, like, what you're keeping. Well, as for me, now playing this week at Valley West Cinemas are... Interview with the Vampire, The Lost Boys, and Let the Right One In. What do you think? Let us know on Twitter at VWestCinemas. If you'd like to support the show, please visit patreon.com slash Podcast. And of course, please rate and review wherever you listen. It helps a bunch. I'm your host, Aaron. I was joined today by Tara. Thank you for listening.